Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's so good to see you, all of you that are able to join us in person, and definitely all of you who are online. Um, thank you for joining us here at the Bridge Church. Um, if you are just tuning in or if you're just making yourself back um, here, we are actually in the third part of a series called How to Break the Cycle in the Book of Judges, in the Book of Judges. And God has definitely been speaking and we've been praying and we're believing that God is going to break some cycles in our life. Amen. Um, today we're actually going to be dealing with some fears and um, any, anybody familiar with phobias? Anybody know what a phobia is? A, a phobia is an extreme fear or an aversion to something, right? So either I'm really scared of it or I'm trying to avoid it as much as I can. I think the first time I remember even hearing that term was, I think it was a movie called Arachnophobia, all right? Arachnophobia is the fear of what? Spiders, right? Arachnids, all right? Bacteriophobia is the fear of what? Bacteria, right? Right? I mean, I think some of you guys heard of claustrophobia, right? That's the fear of what? <laughs> Somebody said camels or Santa Claus. No, it's confined spaces, right? That's what claustrophobia is. So, you know, there's these phobias, and then there's like insectophobia. Now, here's the thing, you know, I'm a dude, you know, and I, so I try to, when I see insects, most of the time, even though I don't like them, you know, and, and all the dads in the place know that even if you grew up not liking an insect, when you saw that insect come, you were the one that had to go kill it, right? Uh, and I, I don't like spiders, um, but, you know, if I see one, I'll step on one. But one time I was in Burgall, North Carolina. Y'all know about Burgall? I was right around the corner, and uh, I, I saw this thing that I thought, it was a spy, I thought it was a spider, so I go to step on it, and this thing jumps up and almost hits me in my chest. I'm like, yo, what is this? What's happening right now? I'm like, yo, you know, and it was actually one of those what they call spider crickets, okay, or camel crickets. It looks like a spider. I mean, like eight legs, but that thing is a cricket, and it jumps, and it leaps, and I'm like, Lord, why are you playing? Like, why are you? Why are you trying to make this thing like a spider, but it's a cricket? Now, you know, like, what, what's going on? I don't, you know, it's crazy. You know, you know we, I don't want to, you know, I, I ain't cool with it. I don't know, you know, spiders that can jump at me and all that kind of stuff is not cool. But there's a lot of fears that people deal with and things of that nature. And there was one I came across that was very interesting. It's called hippopotamonstrosis quipadelophobia. Now, some of y'all are like, are you speaking in tongues? Like, what's happening right now? Where's the interpretation? All right. <laughs> Here's the interpretation, all right, because y'all don't believe me. Y'all don't believe me. I'll put it on the screen. Take a look at it, okay? Say it with me. Hippopotamostrosis quipadelophobia, all right? Y'all like, no, I can't even say that. And, that. and that's actually what it is. It's the fear of long words. That's what it is. That's 35 letters. 35 letters. You know, some people, you know, if you try to get them up and pronouncing words, some of y'all were those students in the class, when the teacher got you up to spell, you're like, well, I got to get up here. You know, I was, uh, my worst fear is coming true. I got to stand in front of all these people and try to spell. Help me, Jesus. You know, so the thing is this. In all seriousness, today's message is entitled, We All Have Fears. And if we want to call these things what they really are, if we really want to just go ahead and, and deal with this, uh, fears are our insecurities. They are our inadequacies. They're the areas that we, we lack confidence in and that we, we have weakness. Usually it deals with um, insecurity. It deals with, 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 our, with, with our safety 
right? It deals with our security. It deals with, with lack of provision and where we want to have provision in our lives. And sometimes it can relate to even our past failures. You know, sometimes we have fear regarding our health. Some of us, it's been abandonment and not feeling loved. This is where fear of missing out comes from, FOMO comes from, right? We all have these insecurities and these weaknesses and these things that we deal with. But here's a good question for you. Who have you talked to your insecurities about lately? See, this is not a hot topic, is it? Not something that you like to bring up and talk about. Why why, why do I want to talk about my fears and my insecurities and the areas of my weakness? Even in counseling, if we're honest, it's kind of embarrassing. You know, it it usually takes several counseling sessions before we go in about how our insecurities have impacted us. And then it's a whole another level when we start talking about how these insecurities have impacted those around us, right? Because fears, yes, our fears don't just impact us. They impact the people around us as well. And the problem is, if we don't deal with them, we get stuck in a cycle. We get stuck in a cycle. And one of the things that you heard about this series, the good news is that we get to look at a lot of other people's issues in this series first. And today we're going to be in Judges chapter 6, and we're going to get a front row seat to how God began to deal with Brother Gideon and this generational cycle of fear that was on his family. And the reason why I say began to deal with this is because what you're going to see is that this is not a linear process. All right? God's not just going to take him from zero to hero, as Pastor Ethan always tells us. He's not going to take you from zero to hero. What he's really trying to do is to get you to go from independence to dependence. From independence on you and your way of doing things and your way of seeing things to depending on him, on his way, and seeing things the way he sees things. So what I'm about to drop on you is certainly not exhaustive, but we do see how God begins to break this cycle down in getting his life. So I want to give you four ways God breaks our cycle of fear. So you're going to, I don't know if you're going to do bullet points or you're going to write numbers down, but there's four things that I want you to get because I think this is critical for us as a church. Now, here's what I do need you to notice. God is the one that is breaking this cycle. It's not us. We can't do it. God is the one that does it. And, and, and to take it a step further, before we go any further, let me give you a quote from Yoda, okay, a.k.a. Dr. Tony Evans, all right? He said it like this. He said, your view of God will determine the view of your circumstances or the view of your circumstances will determine your view of God. Y'all got that? Your view of God will determine the view of your circumstances or the view of your circumstances will determine your view of God. Do you look at 2021 and what you see and experience, does that shape your view of who God is? Or does your view of God shape how you navigate through 2021? See, all throughout this text today, we're actually going to get a chance to see and hear from Gideon's point of view, but then also we get a chance to hear the Lord's point of view. And here's the thing. I beg you that if you want to break the cycle of fear in your life, 
you're going to have to sit down and allow God to shape your view of him. Instead of your past, instead of your circumstances, instead of what you see and what you experience and all these things, you don't need to let that shape your view of who he is. Because here's the thing. God is the cycle breaker. Who is the cycle breaker? It's God. God is the cycle breaker. Listen, our fears and our insecurities and our doubts and all those things, it is in his best hands when it's in God's hands. Because what I love about God is that God is going to actually, and you'll see in here, he is the one that's actually going to initiate the breaking. He's the one that's going to provide during the breaking, and he's the one that's going to be faithful with you in the midst of this breaking that goes like this. So let's jump into this text. There's 40 verses in this text. I'm not going to read all of it, but I will break some of these things down. But the first one we want to read together is Judges 6.1. It says this, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. So to give you a little context, 40 years have passed since chapter 5. So Pastor Ethan preached last week. We were at the end of chapter 5. So 40 years have went by. And interestingly enough, there's, that's, that's a generation, four years, 40 years. And this cycle continues. The people, they do evil. And what God does, he gives them what they desire. Mm. They're worshiping false gods and God gives them what they desire. What do you mean? They did not want God's guidance and covering So now God is not guiding or covering them. I encourage everyone in here, if you really want to understand the mentality of this world and understand what what happens when we begin to worship other things, you need to have Romans chapter 1 down in your soul, especially verses 18 through 32. So if you want to make a little note to go back and read that, Read verses 18 through 32 in Romans chapter 1 because this is what God does. Sometimes when people go down this route, God will give them over. So this is a cycle that we see all throughout the book of Judges. Watch what happens. The people become disobedient. It leads to their demise. You see that? So God says, I'm going to discipline them by giving them over to these things and giving them over to these things that want to control them. But since he's so gracious and he's so good, he says, I'm still going to jump in and I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to send a prophet. I'm going to send somebody. So discipline, there's disobedience that leads to our demise. Then God has the discipline and then he has to bring deliverance. It's this cycle that we keep seeing. And unfortunately, in this discipline era right here, sometimes it's persecution due to the stuff that we want to worship that causes us to get our senses back. And that's what's happening in verse 7. Look at verse 7. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet. Now, listen, they're they're hiding in hills. They're afraid. The Midianites are ruthless. They've taken away their food. They've taken away their even physical provision. These people are ruthless to the point that they're hiding. They're, they're, They're literally hiding. They don't have a city with walls or anything of that nature. They're all scattered all over the place because they're afraid of these people. So it says in verse 8, the Lord sent a prophet, and this prophet remains unnamed to the people of Israel. And he said to them this. He said, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out the house of slavery. 
Verse 9, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove out before you and gave you their land. This is what I did. Verse 10, and I said, I am the Lord your God. Then he says, you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. So you fear their God. So they have false godophobia right here. Um, so despite this rich history, despite this solid promise that they got, despite the fact that God was present, they still have fear because their worship has led them to this way. But we keep reading, it says, but you have not obeyed my voice. So the first thing that God is going to try to do to Gideon and all the people here, the first thing that he does to try to break down this cycle of fear is God's prophetic word shatters pathetic fear. God has to send a prophet. His prophetic word is what's going to shatter this pathetic fear. Now you say, listen, all our fears are pathetic to God. That might sound a little harsh, but do you understand who God is? Do you know where Jesus is right now? He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Do you know what the Holy Spirit will do for you when you don't know what to pray? He will pray for you. So Jesus is praying for you. The Holy Spirit inside of you will pray for you. The Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? Your fears are pathetic to God. But here's the issue. Our fears actually, that's what tries to make us feel like we're defeated, like we're hopeless, like we're pitiful. And nothing can be further from the truth because your God is not defeated. Your God is not hopeless. Your God is not pitiful and neither are his people. That's why if you keep reading Romans chapter 8, which is something you can do for homework too, read all of Romans chapter 8 because it'll tell you that you're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. It will tell you that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Not tribulation, not this, not angels, not demons, not even death can separate you from the love of God. So God has to send his word. That's why I'm speaking to you this way right now. God has to send his prophetic word to deal with this pathetic fear that's right there. So one of the first applications I need to ask you about is who is speaking prophetically in your life? Who speaks prophetically in your life? Now, when we say prophecy, you know, prophecy is both a foretelling and a forth telling. All right, so that there's some things that God will speak to you in your situation right now, and then there's some things that, that can be foretelling. We, we, we even see this in Judges because last week we heard about Deborah. And one thing about Deborah is that Deborah not only was a military general and a judge, but it says she was a prophetess, and we actually saw her do it because she was talking to Barak, and she was giving him directions about how he needed to, to run, it, run this war that they were having. But then she also reminded him, she said, look, the person that you're after, is, he's not going to fall into your hands. He's going to fall into the hands of a woman. And y'all remember the example of Pastor Ethan talking about how he went into that tent, and she nailed that tent, that peg into his head. Y'all remember that? Of course you do because that's the violent part. You always remember that part, right? That's what happened last week. So it was both foretelling and forthtelling. okay? Now, notice when I said, 
who speaks into your life, I need you to all understand that we all are being influenced by prophetic voices. All of us. There are people that are sharing their worldview with you. There are people that are sharing their context. They're all theologians. I know you know people like, like, I'm not a theologian. Yes, you are. Every time you open your mouth, you're telling us what you believe about God. So they're sharing their theology with you. You're, you're, you're hearing this theology. Okay? This is what's happening. And my question is, who is an earshot? Who's prophesying to you? Who's speaking to you? But most importantly, does that prophecy, does those worldviews, do all those things align with the cycle breaker? See, I thank God for the men and women, the prophets and the prophetesses that have spoken God's word over me in a way that actually broke me from certain things and broke certain cycles or they saw something that was coming. And most of the time, it wasn't some renowned speaker on stage. It wasn't always the pastor. It was regular people, local church people, people in my community groups and small group. There were people that just genuinely had a relationship with my daddy. People that, that spent time in the word of God. People that genuinely worship God, people that pray. These were the people. I, I, I share some things with you. I remember when I was in college, I remember I struggled because I, I went to UNC Chapel Hill, and I remember when I got there, I wasn't ready for all the worldviews. I wasn't ready for all the prophets. I wasn't ready for all the things that people were sharing, and they believed this stuff. And I remember someone told me, they said, Chris, test the spirit by the spirit. I'm like, what? I'm a new believer. I'm, what, what are you talking about? That sounds weird. What are you talking about? He said, read, read 1 John 4. I'm like, okay. So I go, I read the scripture, I study the scripture, I look at the context, and I understand what it's saying, and I was able to use that. They spoke prophetically in my life, so I didn't get involved in certain organizations that sounded like it was almost pseudo-Christian. It, it almost was quite there. Some of these worldviews I was getting ready to ascribe to, it didn't, it didn't align with the Spirit of God. I remember the first time someone told me that they said, Chris, Joe, your, your, your family is your first ministry. And that's, that's in the word, but he said, listen, the best, the best sermons you need to preach need to be in, in your home first before you ever get on the stage, before you ever get in front of people. I remember the first time I was overlooked for a position in ministry. Now, I remember someone spoke prophetically to me, and they were just like, look, you see this as being overlooked, but you really need to see this as God's grace on your life. And I was like, man. And of course, years later, I couldn't see it then, but years later, I did see how I was so gracious that that wasn't the opportunity for me at that time. I remember even getting a rebuke from one of the community group members. One time, I was doing good stuff. I was working hard. I was serving in ministry. I was doing a lot. Um, and they, they, they saw how much I was doing, but one of the brothers walked up to me, and he said, he said, hey, man, you're doing quite a bit, you know. You might need to slow down a little bit. And I said, hey, man, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm trying to do this for my family. I'm trying to do, um, walk according to how God has called me. I'm trying to do that. And I said, and this is only for a season, brother. And he looked at me and he said, and it only takes one season for you to destroy your family. I said, God. Woo. I had to change some stuff up right then. He spoke prophetically through a rebuke. But it helped me understand what I needed now and even for later. So I thank God for the godly prophets in my life, people that hear from God and share it with his people. And as a little caveat, let me just say this, because I do think that God wants us to speak prophetically in people's lives, but the people that I know 
that are gifted in that way, and most of them are very humble people because they understand that it's more important to know God than to even be used by God. They're, they're the ones that communicate to me. They be like, I know what Jesus said. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day of judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Haven't we cast out demons? Haven't we done these miracles? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. So what's more important is not to be able to prophesy or to see these things. It's that you know Jesus. That's why I need people in my life that know Jesus. Those people that know Jesus, you can speak to me as much as you need to speak to me. Amen? So let's keep reading to see what happens after God's prophetic word drops. So his prophetic word drops. Now this happens in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat on the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Eberazite, while his son Gideon was beating on the wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Don't you love how God is speaking prophetically right here? This dude is hiding <laughs> in a cave, and God is saying he's a mighty man of valor. I love this. And verse 13, and Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Notice that his circumstances is shaping his view of who God is. I want you to think about that thing right now that, that, that has you bound, that fear, that weakness, that inadequacy. Has that shaped your view of God like Gideon? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Now what's interesting here is in verse 14, because before it said angel of the Lord in verse 12, right? But now in verse 14, it says, and the Lord turned to him. So something, something is up with this visitor. This is not just a regular angel happening right here. It's something else. So we'll, we'll get on that in a second. It says, and the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hands of Midian. Did not I send you? And then he said to him again, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Verse 16, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. Notice now that the focus is not about his valor and not about his might. It's about solely on God's presence. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. All y'all are scattered. All y'all are scared. All, but I'm about to bring y'all together as one man. All right. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come up to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. Here we go. Second way that God frees us from the cycle of fear. Not only does he send this prophetic word that shatters our pathetic fear, but God's presence equips God's people. God will give you his presence. It's so important. See, God here is calling Gideon out, okay? He's calling him out. God does not call the equip. He equips the called, all right? In other words, he's not waiting on you to get it together. He's like, I, I don't need you to get it together. I need you to be obedient to this call and let me get you together. 
That's been the confusion for so many people in churches for years. You're trying to wait to get right before you get with God. It don't work like that. In fact, the church is called the ecclesia. You know what that word means? It means the called out ones. That means God has called you out. It didn't say we're not the, the ones that got it right. We're not the ones that got our lives all together. We're not the perfect ones. We're the called out ones. And when God calls you out, he will equip you. And the reason why he's going to do that is because he's going to be the one that's going to be walking beside you when he does it. Gideon was from the weakest clan, and in the weakest clan, he was the weakest man. All right? And he said this by himself. He said it on his own, like, I'm from the weakest clan, and I'm the weakest man, and I'm the weakest link. Imagine uh, Middle Eastern Steve Urkel, okay? <laughs> Middle Eastern Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, Frodo Baggins, I don't know. But this is not the dude that you want to lead the army. All right, we need you in the back drawing the plans up, but not the, you're going to be the general? You're going to be the judge? That's going to be you? That dude? Yes. God has taken the weakest man from the weakest clan to remind us even in 2021 that your strength is not in you. Your security is not in you. Your provision is not in you. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. That's what's happening right here. That's why we're looking at this story. So don't look at Gideon like he's this, this dude that they got it all together. He's the dude that has been called by God. And here's the thing that we have to get, church. We got to get this. God is just as tired of this cycle of fear as you are. God is just as tired of all the division in our city. He's just as tired with all the strongholds that own your family. He's just as tired of all this as anybody else. He's not looking down at this and he's excited about it. He wants to save us. He wants to make us free. God wants this even more than Gideon. That's why he walked up to him and why he was hiding and said, Almighty man of valor, almighty woman of valor, has God called you out? You can't let your current circumstances blurry your view of God. Now, I love what God is doing here with Gideon. Because Gideon is struggling. It wasn't enough that God does these miraculous things in his life. Because here's the thing. Gideon said, I needed a sign. Even though he's speaking to God here, he needed a sign. So he went and grabbed some, he grabbed like a, a sacrifice and he brought it and he set it down on the altar. And it's the angel of the Lord, which we believe it might be one of these instances where Christ shows up because he takes his staff and when he touches the staff, it, it, it catches on fire, it lights up, and then they vanish right then in that moment. And that's when Gideon's like, yo, I've just been in the presence of the Lord. And that's scary because I know if somebody sees the Lord, it usually means you're getting ready to get, you're getting ready to get taken out. All right? And then that's when that, that right before that happens, the Lord spoke, when the Lord spoke right after that and said, do not fear, for I am with you. See, Gideon is still struggling. Even though God is doing some amazing things in his life, because remember, I told you, this is not a linear process. It's, it's going like this. See, and this is this counterintuitive principle that we believe as Christians that's different than the world. We actually believe in our weakness is when God is made strong. That's 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 through 11. In our weakness, God is made strong. That's why Paul, one of the strongest brothers we see in the New Testament, 
Guess what he said he did all the time? I brag about my weaknesses. One of the strongest brothers in the New Testament often bragged about his weaknesses because he knew that it was in his weakness that Christ was made strong. So we see God give him the word. We see that God is equipping them with this presence. But let's keep reading because God's going to tell him to do something else. Look at verse 25. That night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, his father's name is Joash, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Not only do I want you to cut it down, verse 26, and build an altar to the Lord, your God on top of the stronghold there with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of Asherah. So I want you to take that, that, that false god and that wood and that. I want you to take that wood that you shall cut down and I want you to make that burnt offering with that. In verse 27 it says, So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too, what? What's this word? Afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Here's the third thing that I want you to jot down. So his prophetic word is having, having its run, his, his presence is having its run. Now godly obedience is what's going to break down this generational stronghold. Godly obedience. See, notice that Gideon is definitely God's servant right here. And, but despite his encounter earlier, his fear is not absent. I love that the narrator is showing you that even though God is clearly speaking to him, even though God is speaking clearly to this brother, some of us just want God to speak clearly to us. Well, God is speaking clearly to him, but he's still afraid. He still has fear, and that's okay. All right? And I actually felt sorry for Gideon because remember, 40 years have passed. It's not like he got a granddad. It ain't like he got a, a mentor. It's not like he got people around him that are praying for him and interceding for him and, and doing these things for him. None of this is happening. He's out here and he's afraid and his whole town, not only his town, but his own family right here are pretty much, he knows these are my enemies right here if I'm going to do this. Here's something you need to understand, a misconception about being brave. Being brave is not the absence of fear, it's actually trusting God with your fear. See, Gideon was brave not because he just, let's, let's be tough. No, he was brave because he trusted God more than he trusted man. He did not let his fear lead him into disobedience. That's the problem. A lot of times our fears, they lead us into being disobedient to God. I love that by the end of the day, even though it took night, but by the end of the day, he tore those idols down. And I'm going to be honest. I think this single act of Gideon was probably the most important part of breaking this cycle. Why? Because he needed to tear down. He needed to deny. He needed Israel to see that they did not need to have allegiance to these false gods. See, look, look, God is willing to deal with all your doubts. You can come to God with all your fears. You can come to God with all your doubts. You can come to God questioning his methods, but not questioning him. But you can question his methods. You can be like, Lord, why are you doing it? But one thing that you're not going to be able to do, 
You are not going to be able to be, uh, have this allegiance to false gods. He is a jealous God. He is jealous for you. And it's not jealous like I'm jealous for your Nikes, okay? It's not that kind of jealousy. It's a jealousy that, a jealousy that's based on the fact that he knows that I'm the only one. I'm the only one that can provide for you. I'm the only one that can give you security. I'm the only one that can give you safety. That wood over there that y'all are worshiping, that's not going to do that for you. That money over there that you're worshiping, that's not going to do that for you. That intellect that you have, that's not going to do it for you. It's not going to fix you. You need to be in total allegiance to me. And I want to tell you right now, I'm just going to be straight up with you. If you want to follow Jesus in 2021, you're going to have to be loyal to Jesus in 2021. He has to be Lord of all. It's one of the first commandments. He said, you shall not worship any other God other than me. All those lowercase gods have to bow down to the capital. They have to know who is king. That's why this act of obedience was very important. And here's the thing. The next morning, they wanted to murder him. They wanted to take this dude out. His family wanted to take him out. The men of the town wanted to take him out. Where is he at? Joash, that's your boy that did that? I can't believe he did that. Where is he at? Bring him out here. You see how pervasive this idolatry is in their culture? They want to cancel Gideon. When we see angry mobs of people in our society, in different places, why is it? What is it? What's, what's making them want to cancel people? This whole cancel culture stuff. What? What, what is that? Where does that come from? It comes from worship. It comes from idol worship. That's not God's way. God turns enemies into family. See, many of us have generational strongholds that plague our family. Some of us is drugs. Some of us have dealt with fatherlessness. Some of us dealing with divorce in our family, and that's shaped all of our relationships because we fear Marriage, we fear what it means to, to give ourselves over to someone. Selfishness, fits of rage. Some of us, is political allegiances. If you break away politically from whatever your family is involved in, they want to take you out just like they want to take this person out right here. You know, they, they start to question your, your ideology and your loyalty to things. Let me tell you right now, you need to be obedient to Jesus. What did he call you to do? What did he tell you to do? Who did he tell you to run with? Who did he call you to? See, this is an ongoing thing that's happening right here because your fears impact not only you, but those around you. And here's the thing. Only if Gideon's family could have understood. Because I'm not going to get to it today. Pastor Ethan's going to get to it next week. But here's the thing. Him tearing down those idols was really for their salvation. They can't literally eat right now. They're hiding because of those idols. <laughs> 40 years, that's called. God is trying to tear that down because he's trying to, 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 to deliver them from something. That's what, that, that's what this judging, that's what this is about. God is trying to actually break the very thing that's the problem. And they're, they're trying to come against who God has called in this situation. Man. And I just want, I want, you to, I want that to encourage you today. If you're in a family... Right now, that's being very difficult with you and your walk with Christ, and, and, um, or they just don't understand. Here's the thing you should know that what you have in mind actually is their best interest. 
You want to see them walking in freedom. You want to see them walking there, and your obedience is how that's going to happen. See, the battle usually starts at home, right, before it goes public. Now, here's what's crazy. I like how God actually ended up using Joash in this situation. He had to tear down his father's shrine, and it was actually his father who was the one that came out and talked to all those people and said, y'all trying to kill um, Gideon? He said, yeah, but if Baal can fight, okay, then tell Baal to fight Gideon, right? And Baal was sitting there burning on the ashes. Baal wasn't going to do anything to Gideon. So, you know, so Gideon actually got the name right here, Jeroboam, which means Baal fighter. This ends up being his, his name as he becomes the general and becomes his leader. You'll see that at the beginning of chapter 7 even more. The point being is that we need to understand that God is there and he's going to equip us with everything that we need because he's present and he's available. So let's wrap this up. Let's look at the last verses of this chapter. Look at verse 33. Now all that Midian, all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and they camped in the valley of Jezreel. So now the enemy is setting up. Verse 34, but the spirit of the Lord clove Gideon. I love how active you see the spirit of the Lord, even in here in the Old Testament, how the spirit of the Lord clove Gideon. And when he sounded the trumpet and the, uh, he sounded the trumpet and the Aborazites were called out to follow him. This is what God has said to him before as one man. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh and they all too were called out to follow him. And I think this is it's probably like 30,000 people. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet him. So, great, that's happening. They're getting assembled. Everybody's coming together. Verse 36, then Gideon said to God, so now Gideon has a prayer life, right? So before God came to Gideon, said some things to him, Gideon was obedient, he tore some stuff down. Now Gideon is praying to God now. He's praying. And he said, and he said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. <laughs> he said, if the dew on the fleece alone is dry on it, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And then verse 38, and it was so. So when he rose early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece. He wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. Whoa. Then verse 39, then Gideon said to the Lord, um, you know, not, not, don't let your anger burn against me. Because so, he knows he's like, he's asking, he, he, it's fear. It's fear talking, right? A little bit of fear talking. But, but he said, not let your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece. In all the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. Right now in this final way. Prophetic word shatters. God's presence equips his people. Godly obedience breaks these generational strongholds. But I love how God will crush your insecurities. He's leaving no doubt. Remember that line from Remember the Titans when they said, you're going to blitz every down. They're going to remember tonight that you are the Titans. Leave no doubt on that field. When they walk off that field, they're going to know y'all were the Titans. All right? That's what God is doing. You're going to remember that he's the Titan, that he is the one. I'm going to do this for you, Gideon. 
Because here's the thing, Gideon, I understand that despite this success that you've had so far, um, and, and despite that I'm, the Spirit of the Lord has covered you, you still feel insecure, but I'm a good God. I'm gracious to you. And if you need me to intervene supernaturally right now, I will intervene per your request right now. And here's the thing that you need to notice about getting his prayer. Notice that he starts this prayer off by saying, if you will save Israel. See, this prayer is not a selfish prayer. This prayer is like, God, you put a call on my life and you want me to do something that seems impossible. So if you're going to do that, I need some assurance in this. So he's making this request based on the call in verse 12 that's on his life. Basically, I love this because he's doing business with God privately for God's people corporately. It's not a selfish request at all. Yes, he has fear, and God is willing to deal with your fears. Remember, I told you that. But since his allegiance is to God, God is intervening. Husbands, wives, are we doing business with God privately for our family, corporately? Are we praying according to his will? If he called you to be a husband, if he called you to be a wife, do you sometimes get to the place where you're like, I can't do this anymore? Are you saying, no, God, you called me to this, so I need you to supernaturally intervene right now? God, you called me to parent, so I need you to supernaturally intervene right now. I'm going to you privately because I need you to do something corporately right here. See, listen, God has zero problem with crushing our insecurities. To the retiree in the room, the single person, the, the, the middle school student, the high school student, God has called you out. And if you're one of those people, then answer this call. Are you praying privately for what God can do corporately to the people that he's called you to in your settings? Do you trust him? Here's the thing. Does it look impossible? Good. That's exactly where he wants you, in the impossible, because that's what he uses. He uses the weakest man and the weakest clan to accomplish his plan. We saw God do that. He's right where you need him to be. Don't be afraid to ask God to do this. Remember, God is trying to move us from independence, y'all, to dependence on him. Now, here's the thing. I don't know what Gideon did with that fleece, but I know what that fleece did for his faith. It left no doubt that he was rolling with the God of the universe. In other words, the whole point of the fleece was to fuel your faith. When you look at this story, I hope that it fueled your faith. See, miracles are not just for miraculous sake or for, no, it's a sign. He asked for a sign. Signs are supposed to point you to something else. And this sign pointed to how great God was. See, God is the Lord of the fleece. The answer to all your fears, the sign is Jesus. You want to look for a sign? Look at the cross. That cross should remind us that our sins put him up there, but it was his love that held him up there. His love for us. When he looked at us and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was our Jesus. You want to look for another sign? Look at the grave. Look at the empty tomb. Death could not hold Jesus down. Death lost its sting. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God that we roll with. God has already proved to us 
that the thing that we fear the most is just a comma, not a period. Death. He overcame sin and death for our sake. But the problem is our fears blurry up who God is. Church, don't allow this to shape your view of him. You know that we put our faith in stuff so quickly, so easily. It's hard for us to put our faith in God that way, but we put our faith in all kinds of stuff. If you ever flew on an airplane before, raise your hand. Raise your hand here. That's most of everybody in here. If you're online, I'm sure most of y'all have flown on a plane. You know what's amazing? Is that you just get the ticket and you get on there. How many of y'all in here are mechanical engineers? Raise your hand. We got one back there. Last time we had two. They might be the only ones that actually have this much of an understanding of how that plane works. What other thing would you get on that got little wheels on it that's big that takes off and goes up into the air and takes you at hot, crazy speeds that you would get in and do those kind of things? Nothing. I, it still don't make sense to me even now how that works. But I put a lot of faith in that. And I'm getting in that plane and we'll go, we'll travel, we'll go. I mean, we'll go. The longest flight I ever had in the air was 16 hours. I was on the plane for 16 hours straight with not stopping. I couldn't believe I said, that's crazy. That takes a lot of faith, right, to do that. But I'm going to tell you something. All that faith in that plane begins to shift as soon as you start experiencing a little bit of turbulence. When that plane drops down and it gets to rattling, it gets to moving to the side, you become unsettled, right? We get unsettled. People start looking at each other. Some people are making noises. It gets crazy up on that plane. What do you need in that moment? What do you need when all that turbulence is going on? What do you need to deal with your fear? You need that sound that goes, doom. And you need to hear from the captain. You need to hear from the pilot. That's when the presence of a competent pilot That's when the prophetic word of that pilot who says, look, I know we're experiencing some turbulence right now, but I'm going to take this plane up a little bit higher and we're going to get beyond this or I'm going to go with, I've done this before, I got this, but I need you to be obedient. Put your seatbelt on, sit down in your seat, hold on while we're in this ride. Now, while that might not calm you all the way down, it begins to calm you down. And if you're sitting here today, that person landed that plane. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All y'all got on the ground, y'all clapping, and everybody was excited, right? That's what we needed. Crazy enough, this actually happened yesterday. I was, when I was thinking about that sermon example, I looked in, the, in, in Colorado yesterday, a plane was flying, and the engine, an engine blew up. Boom. Pieces went flying everywhere, landed in the neighborhood. That's why it got on the news, because people had pieces, plane parts in their front yards and in the parks. And this, this pilot was able to still land this plane in Colorado, safely in Colorado. And when they landed, everybody clapped. And everybody was excited. I would be too. Thank you, Captain Sully, who did land it on the... And when I see that, I get excited every time. I'm like, thank God that the captain kept it together. Listen, let me tell you something. You got a captain that's not a human. You got a pilot that's not a human. He's never lost any of his passengers. You know why? Because not only did he make the plane, he owns the sky. That's the kind of God that you serve, but church, would you?
trust his presence? Would you trust his spirit? Would you be obedient to him? Would you listen to him and trust him with all your fears and all your anxiety and all your doubt and your depression and whatever it might be? Because he loves you and he cares for you. Why don't you pray with me? God, we come to you right now just like the man that cried out to you because his son was demon possessed his son was mute his son he watched his son suffer with this stronghold over his life and Jesus you came into his life and when he saw you he said Lord if you will Lord if you will could you could you save my son and you said can I you asked him did he believe and he said I believe but help my unbelief today God with our fears many of us have a lot of unbelief we don't feel like we can shake it we don't feel like we can get we can't move God help us with our unbelief God save us rescue us free us help us to be obedient help us to hear you help us to surround ourselves God with people that hear from you. Help us to encourage one another, spur one another on in the Lord, God. That's my prayer for our people. And I know that you can do it, God, because you're gracious. No matter how far we get away, God, you always draw us back. Thank you for being our deliverer. We thank you that it's in Jesus' name. Amen.